God. And you'll see that in a few moments because we're going to... Um, we're going to highlight just a few scripture verses very, very quickly. We're going to follow a course, but I've extracted this. It says, blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. Men, I think you should live your life in the confidence that God has blessed you. Not arrogance, uh, not pride, but in a, a, a humility, uh, but in an, a, a cognate awareness that, you know, I'm the blessed of God. God has blessed my life. He's blessed my family, Right? God passes. One thing I've learned as a, as, a, as a husband and father, God can pass blessing through you. Men, God can bless your children and your children's children. So blessed is the man. Let's pray today. Father, we love you, and I'm grateful for this privileged opportunity to share the word of God. I prayed in private, and I pray it openly, God. Let preaching come easy in this house today. God, uh, you know above all else, God, of the distractions that have been my, in my own personal mind, the things that have run to and fro, the hastiness and the busyness of this little season in my life that's caused me to easily be distracted. But God, I pray for just a few moments, as the psalmist wrote, Selah. I pray for this moment today, God, that it would be a sacred, a calming moment when we pause and we reflect and we think that we might can learn and grow together. Well, I thank you for each and every person that's under the sound of my voice. I certainly thank you for the men of our fellowship today, whether they are a father or not, God. I just thank you for who they are individually. And I pray that this word, Father, would be written on the tablet of their heart. It's in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. And you can be seated. You know, as I, as, as I get prepared in just a moment to go to the word of God and share this with you. You often hear me as I speak or minister from my heart things that are related to both the distinctions in the sexes and also the order, what I believe is a biblical order that we see in the scriptures. And, you know, if you study the Word of God, you'll find that there are many things that are, uh, you know, unisex in the Bible, where the Bible says in the book of Galatians that there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female. The Lord, I believe in my personal interpretation of that passage, he's certainly speaking of uh, our worth to God, our value to God, right? God doesn't value a Jew over a Gentile, thanks to the covenant of grace. He doesn't value a rich man over a poor man. He doesn't value a woman or a man over the other. It doesn't. God loves us all equally, right, in that sense. But that doesn't take away from defined roles in Scripture principles and precepts where God actually wrote to the gender. He spoke to men openly and plainly. Paul's pen captures the voice of God as he writes to husbands. I don't care what the culture says, you cannot be a husband and not be a man. Hello? Right? And so he speaks to women, to wives, to mothers, to uh, young women, young uh, old women, uh, he, same way with men, young men, old men, God speaks to us, defines our roles responsibilities and you know as a father myself of uh, six beautiful children watching them grow uh, up into becoming uh, you know uh, adults I think back I think back in my own personal time when I was younger in the Lord when I was in my early uh, 20s um, 19 20 21 years of age you know I found the necessity in my life to study the scriptures to see what God would speak to me how what what's God saying to me well, where's Lee Brown in the midst of all of this? And, and I found passages of Scripture where he did speak to me as a husband to my wife, Sherry, that we've been married 31 years now. I, I found passages of Scripture that he spoke to my life as a father. 
bring my children up in the fear and the admonition. One of my favorite verses of Scripture is uh, concerning the rod. <laughs> I was not Zorro, but I was close. <laughs> my favorite target is over here to my left today. <laughs> God blessed him with a, what's it called, a glutamus maximus or something like that, larger than anyone else in, the ch- in our household, and he needed it more than anybody else in our household. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I'm just saying that to you guys and I, today because I am speaking to the men. I'm speaking to everyone, but I do want to speak to the men. You know, guys, you've got to set your heart. You can't say, well, there's no instruction manual. No, that's not true. So you can't say, well, there's no instruction manual towards being a father or a husband. That's not true. God has given you an instruction manual. And, and if you'll set your heart to be diligent to study and to grow, and you learn in all different ways and means, and you learn by following the example of, of others that you, that you admire and you strive to emulate, right? You know, you run with horsemen or you ride with horsemen and you, you, you certainly walk with footmen and you progress uh, as, you, as you associate and you move and you trust the Lord to work in your heart and life. And so, you know, one of the things, again, in keeping the distinctions uh, for just a moment, the Bible does tell us, amen, in 1 Peter chapter number 3, in the honoring of our wives to recognize her as the weaker vessel. And, you know, in a culture today where that line has been blurred and where it's more, it's more difficult, it's more difficult to actually want to lead your family for men today. It's more difficult because very quickly, if you want to take the lead, then, uh, you know, you can be uh, labeled or mislabeled a sexist or you're not valuing uh, your wife or, you know, things of that nature. And, and, and I think that's wrong. I think that men can value uh, our wives for who they are and whatever God's called them to do whether they're, or to be, whether they're a homemaker, whether they're in the workforce, that's between them and God. But somewhere along the line, I still think men can rise up and be who God's called them to be. And I believe they can lead their families and lead their families well. And, uh, you know, in that passage of Scripture where it says that uh, men, it's in First Peter chapter number 3, to give honor to their wives and recognize them as the weaker vessel. I think, you know, there's a couple areas that are directly applicable, and I have to be very careful with this, but number one is driving. Um, it's pretty obvious that, that, that you know, there's, uh, men are just way better. I'm sorry, you know. Um, I just, I'm trying, I mean, I just, you know, from there, I mean, and number two, these are my two, there's one I want to say from being a dad of watching little boys not have to come in the house to relieve themselves, and so I don't want to, uh, we were kind of like the Caldwell household. I remember Dean Caldwell preaching years ago, and there were five sons in the household. He said there was a yellow stain all the way around the perimeter of their house. (laughs) You got to be careful coming to the brown house. In that sense, uh, but I think maybe he was talking about the ability to uh, operate the remote control on the television. I do believe that that's where men show their superiority over women. Um, I have found that in my house, Sherry only knows two channels, HGTV and the Hallmark channel, to which I want to throw up. And I have to literally squeeze that out. I'm feeling the witness in here today. I didn't know where I'd go with this, but I'm feeling emboldened because my wife's in Florida. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Amen. And I know that women are the actual true multitaskers, but that is not always fully applicable because men can supersede or exceed that when we have the remote control in our hand. Because I can watch one football game 
and go to another football game and even a third football game and be back before the commercial ends on the first football game. Hello, somebody. And Sherry says, what you watching? I'm watching Georgia and Tennessee. I'm watching Arkansas and uh, Texas A&M. And I'm watching Ole Miss and Mississippi State all at the same time. Come on, somebody. Amen. That's good stuff right there. So what I, I'm saying all that to simply say, as, a, as a, an individual, a pastor, a, a husband, a father, you know, I arrive at the place in my own heart and life where I, I, I want to understand God's call upon my life. And God's call upon my life, God's call upon your life is not just what you do in your career. God's call upon your life is to be a, a if, you're, if you're married, is to be a husband. It's to, to love and recognize the gift. He that findeth the wife findeth the good thing and obtaineth the favor of God. Right, and you've learned to hold your wife and value her, and and for who she is and what she is, and um, maybe if I go there next week, but in Psalm one twenty seven or Psalm one twenty eight, it, it speaks about that. We recognize that our our wives are fruitful vines by the side of our house. That God blessed our family through uh, the womb of our wife. If your wife was blessed and, and had children in that. And so you have to recognize that. And then it says your children are as of olive plants round about the table. And, and men then become leaders in their home and they become the lead disciplinary. And, and not just in discipline, but, but in, in correction and in instruction. And they assume that responsibility. I, when I was a younger man studying the scriptures, I found out that the, the, um, you know, the intention by God to lead the family in the area of faith uh, was, was given to the man. And unfortunately, a lot of men lay down on this and they pass the burden of responsibility off to their wives. And oftentimes you'll see a faithful woman bringing her children to the house of God while, while, while her, the, the, the husband stayed home to watch the, the, the football game or out on the golf course or going fishing. Right? And, and, and not taking the lead. But see, I'm speaking to men today. You can take the lead. You can be who God's called you to be. But you've got to set your heart to be. This passage of Scripture in just a moment, or that passage with the theme is, Blessed is the man. The word blessed appears throughout the, the, both the Old and the New Testament. And when you think of the word blessed, just real quickly, as I search, searched it out in the original language, you know, it's very simple. It actually simply means happy. Happy and favored of God. I'll tell you what, when you begin to perceive yourself as being blessed by God, then you'll be happy. You'll live your life with a contentment even when you're facing difficult situations. You'll just know, you know what? God's got my back. God's got me covered. I'm in his will. I'm in the palm of his hand. I'm blessed. I'm blessed like faithful Abraham to be a blessing. I recognize blessing. I see the areas and the avenues and the venues where God is able to bless me. There are certain things, church family, let me speak to you today, that can ensure that you're walking in the blessing of God. I believe it becomes a revelation of spiritual truth, an enlightening of your eyes. When you see, have the enlightening of your eyes to the, to the context of God's blessing, then you discover that God is willing to bless you. Now, that's something that a lot of men struggle in. A lot of men have not arrived at the place where they can, that they can come to an awareness that God can bless me. They see God blessing others. They see, uh, they, they see uh, others that they know it's the hand of God. And then they question within themselves because they know of their failure. They know of some issues in their own life. But let me tell you today, I came to preach about the God of all grace. I came to preach about the God that can find you where you are, but he won't leave you where you are, but he'll change you into the man that God's called you to be. Who you are today does not have to always define you. 
the past and the mistakes that you've made and whether you have been an adulterer, you've been a fornicator, whether you've been abusive, all that can be washed away by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And you can be made a new creature in Christ Jesus and you can have an ability to get up in the morning and know that you are the blessed of God. And you can say that in your heart, blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. That passage of scripture is found just that exact phrase in the sanctified, holy, authorized version of the Bible, the King James Version. That Bible says this exact phrase 13 times. But as I studied out each exact phrase 13 times in the passages of scripture, I was able to narrow it down to seven distinct um, uh, principles to just kind of drop in the hearts of men today. So this is not a message where I'm taking you into a deep story. This is just a message, guys, where I'm going to show you where if you follow these principles and you hide them in your heart and God begins to work them out in your heart and life, you'll have the confidence to say, God's blessed my life because you'll walk and live life knowing that blessed is that man. Now, it first comes to us in one of the most famous of all the Psalms. It's the Psalms that begins Psalm 1, verse number 1. We're going to go to some of these passages of Scripture. You can read it there with me. It says, blessed is the man. Look at that. Blessed is the man. Well, what makes this man blessed? Is that he doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Come on, guys, you've got to know who you're running with. You've got, you got to correct your path. One of the mistakes that many of us make is that we listen to a lot of voices that are outside the, 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 the spectrum of godly counsel. So here the writer is saying, man, if you're going to be blessed, you can't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You can't stand in the seat of the sinner, nor can you sit in the seat of the, of the, seat of the scornful. But here's what you got to be. You want to be a blessed man? Verse number two says this. You know what you got to do? You got to delight in the law of God. You got to be determined in your heart that you're going to become a student of the word of God that you're going to write the word on your heart, that you're going to do more than just look at the words of a scripture on a screen for about 15 minutes on a Sunday morning and the rest of the week you don't have time for the word of God. You want to be disciplined. You want to become uh, the man God's called you to be. You've got to learn to meditate upon the law of God day and night. You've got to put it in your heart and mind. You've got to think about it. You've got to be intentional with it. You say, Pastor, I don't understand it. You can pray. And you can, uh, men are, 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 have an ability to do amazing things. The men of this church, you saw what we did. We, we rolled our sleeves up and we built a house. I'm telling you guys, you can roll your sleeves up and you can hide the word of God in your heart and you can be the person that God's called you to be. And here's the promise at the end result of that in the third verse is you'll be like a tree that's planted by the river of water of life. You'll be fruitful in your season. And you may look at your life right now and you say, Pastor, I'm kind of barren of some of the things that you're talking about. I'm telling you, if you hide the word of God in your heart, and you have a love and affection and a value of the Word of God, God will bring you into that season. God will take you into a fruitful season in your life where others are able to see of the goodness of God in your life. Psalm 112, verses 1 through 3, we're going to read them quickly, but it's just simply, it's just, it's simply validating the principle that if you will delight in the Word of God, it says, blessed is the man. There it is. That's you, sir. That's you, my dear friend. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord and who delights greatly in his commandments. Do you ever get excited? Guys, I want to ask you something. Now, I know you can be reserved. At times, men can be very reserved, but there are times men are very exuberant. There are times that men are very emotional. Often, it's associated with the sporting event. You're either standing up and cheering wildly, or you're standing up complaining uh, feverishly, you know, you lift your voice up at the referee. You scream at the television as if they can hear. How do I know that? Because I've done it many, many times. Pass the ball. 
Just run the ball, Houston. That's mine and JoJo's favorite thing. Just run the ball, Houston. Yelling. But I want to ask you today, have you ever had a moment, guys, where God just gave you a nugget of truth out of the Word of God and you were meditating upon it? All of a sudden, God just quickened it in your heart and you suddenly began to jump up and down and you began to dance and you began to rejoice in all that God was doing in your life. If you haven't done that as of yet, then you've not had a clear revelation of the promises of God because if you've had a clear revelation of the promises of God, you can't hold back your celebration. You got to say, God, I got to give you glory. I got to give you glory in these areas because you're so good to me. And that comes from understanding the Word of God. Let's just read the second and the third verse. Blessed is the man that delights himself in the word of God. Look what will be the promise to you and your children. Your children will be mighty on the earth. You know, I'll tell you what, I'm so grateful and thankful for my sons and daughters and every dad and husband uh, among us. I hope you are as well. Even if your relationship is fragmented, don't give up. Even if your relationship is strained, be the man that God's called you to be and let them look to your life. Even if they're living with another spouse and and, and you went through the pain of the divorce and, and you don't have a communion and a relationship with your children, it doesn't mean it's over. right? God can bring that child around at a later date and time, but you still got to be the man that God wants to bring that child back around to see. Look, the generation of the upright will be blessed. I learned in my life at a young age that I could speak prophetic blessing over my children by the Word of God. And I could speak life and favor and blessing and good things. And when they strayed, and I can't say that they always walked the straight and narrow, but I could say this, I always trusted in the seed. What seed was that? The seed of the Word of God. The seed of the Word of God that had been spoken prophetically into their heart and their life by their Father. Then I trusted that the God of all grace, the God of all grace would water that seed and that one day that seed would burst out of the ground glory to God and men you have to trust in the Lord and believing that your children will be blessed as they see that blessing in your life let's read Psalm 94 and verse 12 just real quick to complete that Psalm 94 and 12 just adds blessed is the man whom God instructs come on men are y'all hearing this today guys it's time to become a student of the word of God you want to be blessed then you got to delight in the word of God And as you become blessed in your knowledge of the Word of God, let me share with you guys one of the greatest things and one of the greatest mysteries and one of the greatest truths that you're going to discover. And I'm very excited to see this posted on the screen here, Andrew, and you're very good, and I appreciate that. And that is in Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. And as we push this on the screen, and this is the psalmist David. Look at this. This is David contemplating. And again, the King James would say, Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Look at this, 32nd verse. Let's read this. Blessed is the man, there it is. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit or there is no guile. Look at this. The the beloved David is writing to us, a man of men, uh, a man that we could all, uh, you know, if we, in our mind and in our thoughts, if we think of a a man's man, it certainly would be David. I mean, David killed the Goliath of Gath with just a slingshot in his hand when he was just but a teenager. Come on, somebody. And this David is pinning this psalm of his contemplations, and he's writing to us, and he's saying, you know who's going to be blessed? You know who the man is that's blessed? It's the man who recognizes that his sins are forgiven. Oh, Jesus, I'm telling you what, that gets me stirred up right there. I tell you, because look at this, and that God does not impute iniquity. What does that mean? Now, for the sake of time, we're not going to turn to this passage. This passage of Scripture is quoted exactly 
in uh, uh, Romans chapter number four where the apostle Paul is teaching a lesson here on justification. And as the apostle Paul is arguing the point of justification, he's arguing the fact that Abraham was justified by faith, not by works. That the Judaizers of his day taught the principle that Abraham was justified through the act of circumcision. And Paul is arguing that he was justified by faith before circumcision. That's the principle that's contained in Romans 4. And in order to validate that passage, that theme, or that thought, Paul quotes from Psalm 32. And he says, remember what David said, Blessed is he whose sin is forgiven and his transgression is no more, and that God is not imputing iniquity towards him. And if you've ever taken the time to study this out and say, what does impute mean? It simply means to count or to reckon. These are actual accounting terms, mathematical terms that the authors are using in essence to say, we know that all of us men under the sound of my voice, we are all guilty before God. We were guilty before God. Paul would argue in the third chapter of the same book of Romans that there was none righteous, no, not one. We were all like sheep that were gone astray, right? There was not a man born of the descendants of Adam and Eve that had ever lived a sinless life, uh, life other than Christ. So all of us, by the time we became cognitively aware of the law, we had already transgressed the law. We were a sinner by nature and we were a sinner by action. And we were guilty before God. And we found out that there was nothing that we could do. Paul is using a monetary exchange system to describe the power of redemption in your life. And what he was saying is that, he was saying in this sense right here, is that you were guilty and you were indebted to God. And you needed something to pay that indebted to God off with. And there was nothing of value in your life or nothing that you could purchase in this world to satisfy that indebtedness that you owed God. So what God did was God put your sin debt on the man Christ Jesus. He put your sin debt on this man called Christ Jesus and he killed him on a cross called Calvary. And it was there that the just demands of a holy God were satisfied. And so what God did put on us then, God put his righteousness upon us because he put our death, our judgment, our sin upon him. And God took the righteousness of God that was in Christ and put it on us. And he doesn't impute our iniquity upon us. And so God doesn't look at you today and say, well, there was that adulterer there was that fornicator there was that man that used to do those no God looks at you and says you are in my son Christ I'm not counting your sin debt any longer it's been satisfied it's paid in full the blood sealed it and it's it's terminated in the eyes of God and you can get up every day of your life and live life knowing knowing that your sins are forgiven through Christ and God's not counting you as a sinner he's counting you as justified before God you say, man, that's powerful. And say, Pastor, that's too, no, it's not too far above you. All you got to do is study the Word of God. Amen. All you have to do is set your heart to study the Word of God and you'll come away. If you'll apply the first principle, blessed is the man who delights himself in God's Word, one of the greatest truths that you're ever going to discover. And so you can get up alive. You can get up and live life. That's how you can serve your family, guys. That's how when condemnation tries to creep in, condemnation and guilt over mistakes that were made in the past you're able to say that old man is dead and a new man now lives in his place 
And you're able to quote Romans 8 and 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit, knowing that your sin debt was satisfied by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And God is not accounting sin towards you. Many of us think God's up there just checking things off. No, I'm telling you what, God satisfied that account right there. God satisfied that account. My God, if there was somebody on an organ right now, I went to bed listening to Bishop Noel Jones last night. There's no telling what could happen in here. When you know that your sin debt is forgiven, then you can live life with a confidence knowing, blessed is the man. I'm blessed. You know why I'm blessed? I'm blessed because my sins are forgiven. And God's not counting me as a sinner. Number three today, blessed is the man, James 1 and 12. Some of these I'll go very quickly over. You can endure temptation. And you need to endure temptation. The word endurance means that it's a perseverance. Some things you can go around, some things you can go over, but some things you got to go through. Can I say that one more time? Because it was a very shallow amen that only came from a female. Let me say that, guys, and that there are some things in life you can go around. Some things you can climb over, but some things you're going to have to go through. And the apostle here is urging us and say, listen, when you're going through a difficult season, don't give up. Endure the temptation because here's a promise. You're going to receive a crown of life, right? We, uh, I preached to you last week that we are not of those who turn back. We're not of those who turn back, but we are those that are trusting in the Lord. And, and one of the greatest things you can do is recognize that God is with you in your trial. God is with you in your season of adversity, and he will keep you. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, there's no temptation taking you, but that which is common to man. What does that mean? That means that there's nothing you're going through that somebody hasn't gone through before. There's nothing you're going through right now that somebody can identify with you and say, well, pastor, I don't know anybody that can do it. Well, the Bible says Jesus himself was tempted and tried in all points, just like you are, yet without sin. So he was able to endure, and then the Bible says he is able to help you. If you will come to him, guys, with the th- even the secret things that you can't even confess to anyone, you don't want to confess, there's one person you can confess to will, who will hold no malice against you, and that is your father. If you will confess to him through Christ Jesus and be honest with God and say, God, I'm going through a great trial of my flesh right now, a great temptation, and I need your help. How many know God can help you? God can help you. So blessed is the man that endures that temptation. Let me move on. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, it's almost noon already. Thundering outside already. I think that's heaven applauding. (laughs) Number four, blessed is the man. Look at this, the book of Proverbs. I love this. Blessed is the man who listens to me. Who is that? Who's speaking here? Watching daily at my gates. Waiting at the post of my doors, 35th verse. For whoever finds me find life and finds favor from the Lord. Now, who is this? Who's speaking this? What's this being written about? You have to go back and time won't allow us to go back and read the context, but it's speaking of godly wisdom. Godly wisdom. That unique gift that God gives men and women that will pursue it. Did you know James said, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. For he gives to every man freely and upbraideth not. So if you're in seasons in your life, let me tell you guys, one of the greatest things you can do is pursue the wisdom of God. We live in a culture when there's a lot of information that's being shared. And if you're not careful, feel the Holy Spirit right there. Information can be confused with wisdom. Let me tell you, God is a God to supply wisdom to your life. 
because wisdom has abode with them forever. If you were to take the time to read that book of Proverbs there, the eighth chapter of the book of Proverbs, it would say that before God formed the worlds, before he formed the universe, before he formed the galaxies, before he put the sun in the midst of our universe, before he did any of those things, before he formed man, before he formed the earth, before he formed the beast of the field and the fish of the sea, before he caused the mountains to rise up out of the earth, before he cut the riverbeds and before he, uh, he, 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 he spread out the sand upon the seashore, before any of this, the scripture says wisdom was with God. The wisdom of God. And what's awesome for us today, guys, is this, that wisdom is available to us if we'll pursue it. And then we can learn to discern the difference between earthly wisdom. James said, earthly wisdom is earthly, it's sensual and devilish. But the wisdom that is above is peaceable. I'm telling you, every day in your life, guys, you need the wisdom of God. You need the wisdom of God to be able to be the husband, the father, to be able to be the individual that God's called you to be. You have to have his wisdom in your life. You have to be able to pursue the Lord and say, God, I need your wisdom. It's beyond my learning. You have to, you have to understand there is a distinction between knowledge and wisdom. And you can gain knowledge by study and by reading and by watching and observing. But wisdom can also, a measure of it can come that way. But a measure of it just comes from God's giftedness. God just graces you with it. He just gives you the wisdom and supplies it. You want to be a blessed man, then you can grow in the blessing of God. And I'll tell you what, and rather than go into all seven today, I'm going to cut it off on the fifth one today. These are just principles, precepts that God gives us to speak not to just the whole church family, but certainly to men today. Can you say this under your breath with me, guys? Blessed is the man. I like that, don't y'all? Wouldn't it have been awesome if I'd had a wristband, Jojo, <laughs> to put on your wrist? Blessed is the man. Instead, I give you an IOU to come back next week and get part two of the sermon. That may be a better deal. That might even work out all right. That might even work out better. So maybe God was behind that production malfunction. The last one today I want to share with you. And I love this one. This one's very, very powerful. And it's right at noon. We're going to close in just a few moments, guys. And I know it's a little bit more difficult to preach when you're changing the subject. I'm not changing the subject. The context is blessed is the man, but I'm changing the principles each time. It's a little bit more difficult as a pastor when you're doing that versus staying in one vein. And it's easier to be distracted, but I'm going to close with this last one. And I wrote it this way. It says, blessed is the man who looks to God for deliverance. For deliverance. It's a good place to say amen, wasn't it, Jeff? Amen. And I want you to read this psalm with me, Psalm 34, verse number 8. Let's just read this real quickly as we, as we see it. And, I, and I'm going to share with you the context of it. It's a powerful verse of Scripture here. Psalm 34, verse number 8. I'm going to find it here in the Scriptures because I want to end on this one today. Blessed is the man. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How many you know he to be good today? Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Blessed is the man. Now, this is a powerful passage of Scripture. In the book of Psalms, the 34th chapter, as I'm closing, Aaron, is it with me on the platform here today? Just very quickly as I close. This passage of Scripture has so many 
exciting things in it. If you were to take the time, let me just toss out it. I won't read it in its entirety. It's 22 verses. But he said things like this. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. He asked people to praise the Lord with him and let us exalt his name together. You know, that's what I do every Sunday morning when I stand on the stage and I look out to you and say we have a, an opportunity to worship God. I'm simply asking you, would you worship God together with me? Because God is great and he is greatly to be praised. This is the passage of scripture where he says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and God delivered me from all my fears. I love this. It says, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. In this passage of scripture here, the psalmist David continues on by saying things like this. Men, you probably prayed this. You've heard it if you haven't prayed it. Maybe you didn't know the context it was written. It says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord will deliver him out of them all. Isn't that powerful? You say, but this is what's, what's awesome about this passage of scripture. When you read this, let's put it in its context for a moment. David is celebrating. He's not celebrating a victory. He's celebrating a deliverance. And you have to be able to distinguish between the two in your own life. There are some things you overcome. God gives you victory over them. And some things you just need to escape from. And in your heart, that's just as much as a victory as if the enemy was laying on the ground fully defeated. God just shifted you. He took you and he moved you. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but out of them all, the Lord shall deliver you. It's a powerful verse of Scripture. And here he says, blessed is the man that trusts in him. He's saying, keep your trust in God when you're in a difficult situation. Right? Guys, keep your trust in God. Don't lean on the arm of the flesh. Don't lean on your own giftedness. Don't lean, lean on your own ability. Don't lean on your education. Don't lean upon your, your resources. Don't lean upon whether or not you're a rich man. Don't, don't, don't lean upon any of that. In whatever situation you find yourself in, and it's a dire consequence, trust in the Lord. Put your trust in God. Just surrender before Him and say, God, I cannot deliver myself out of this situation. I'm trusting in you. What makes this psalm so powerful is it's one of the few psalms where you actually get the historical context what moved David to pen this psalm? What season in life was he in that he captured these words that are so brilliant and so powerful that 25, 20, or 3,000 years later, here's a preacher in Heber Springs, Arkansas, speaking to the men and the women of his congregation and, and trying to get you to see that you can be blessed if you'll trust in God for your deliverance. The, the psalm begins, the psalm says that this was written when, he changed, when David changed his behavior before the king of Gath, before Achish the king. That's how the psalm begins. And you'll find that scriptural record in 1 Samuel chapter number 21. I'm closing with this. In 1 Samuel chapter number 21, David is a fugitive before God. Saul's uh, hatred and bitter jealousy towards him has caused him to leave. Originally, he had been chosen for his skillfulness in warfare and his skillfulness to play the musical instrument to calm the troubled soul of Saul. But Saul's bitter jealousy has led to the point where David is no longer safe dwelling in Saul's household. And so David has been forced to flee. And the first place he went to was Nob. Nob was the place where the tabernacle was erected. And while there, he obtained provision and resources for his journey and also 
you might as well stay because you don't want to go to your car right now anyhow. So you might as well give me a little amen and say, Pastor, just go ahead and preach it anyhow because I don't want to walk with that umbrella to my car, that lightning rod. And so in that passage of Scripture, David there, he, this is where David receives the shoe bread, the show bread, and he eats the show bread. And the Bible says he asked the priest of Nob, he says, my business when I left the king was urgent. He doesn't tell him all that's going on in his life. And he says, I didn't have time to get a sword. Is there a sword that you can give me? And he said, well, there's only one sword here at the tabernacle. And he said, I put it behind the ark, and here it is. It's the sword of Goliath. The sword of Goliath. And the Bible gives the dimensions of that sword. It's a giant sword. I'm sure David had to pick it up with both hands. And it represented Goliath. And it represented the Philistine people. And this was, a, this was like a, you know, a, 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 a trophy that they had taken from the fallen enemy. And he said, there's no sword like it. Give it to me. And so David, with the sword of Goliath, feeling the pressure from Saul, does something that's out of his character. He doesn't pursue the wisdom of God. Guys, I'm telling you, the mistakes that you're going to make in life are going to be the mistakes where you don't pursue the wisdom of God, where you don't take time to seek and to ask God's counsel about it. You know what David did out of fear? He said, you know where I'm going to go? I'm going to go to the land of the Philistines. I'm going to go there because Saul won't look for me there. And so on the surface, that looks good. On the surface, it looks like he, he is, de, 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 what is it called? Defe, not, is it defected to the enemy, to the field? To the, so Saul would not look for him there. But on the, if you look at it later through the lens of uh, his, looking back in history, here comes David riding into the camp of the enemy, the country of the enemy, carrying the trophy that he had taken from their champion when he severed his, uh, Goliath's head with it. So it can be perceived as arrogance too. And so Achish, the king, receives him and says, David, you can stay in our, our town, in our, our community. I'm paraphrasing. But after a little while, the Bible doesn't tell us how long, some of the people around the king, the kings here that around him, begin to whisper among themselves. And they say, wait a minute. Is this not David? Is not that the one that we looked from our uh, hillside of the valley of Ella and we saw him kill Goliath? Is this not the one that they sang about in songs that Saul has slain his thousands? Thousands of who? Thousands of Philistines. And David has slain his ten thousands. And they begin to murmur amongst themselves and they determined they would kill David. And Dave, I'm telling you, if David ever had the, have you ever had the, oh my gosh, what have I done? I leaped from the frying pan. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Into the fire. And David is caught in a trap. A difficult moment. How many guys, you can be sometimes caught in a difficult trap that the enemy has laid for you and you didn't seek the wisdom of God. And so David didn't know what else to do. And this is that famous passage of Scripture where you know what David did? They brought David before the king. And David looks not at the king. He looks through him. His eyes got widened. He got a glassy stare. Then all of a sudden, he began to let saliva run down on his beard. He began to jerk, began to twitch, began to act this way. People were talking to him, accusing him. He didn't hear anything. He began to 
throw his arm erratic, throw his arm erratic, throw his arm, throw his body, go over to the wall. He begins to flay the wall, scratch it on the wall, like this right here, scratch it on the wall. Went on for several minutes. Akesh saw it and said, why have you brought this madman in front of me? Well, you brought this madman. Get him out of my sight. In those cultures, people would not kill a mentally handicapped person, a madman. They would just chase him out of the city. And so can you imagine, David, they put him on the horse that he rode in. I'm sure they kept Goliath's sword. Two men probably escorting to the edge of the city. David is flaying and flopping around on the horse. He's salivating. He's just speaking out, muttering things, uttering things, you know, to the degree that the guys that are walking with him are going, you lead. I'll I'll stand back here. And they're afraid of him because they think think that's demonic. They perceive that to be demonic activity. And they get David right to the place where he's outside the city that's as far as they're going to go and the soldiers are about to turn and pop the horse right on the butt and drive him on out into the barren wasteland and get him out of the city he's a madman just as they're about to do that David turns and says blessed is the man that trusts in God come on and he picks up the steed and the steed takes off in a gallop and the guys are standing there like this And they realize at that moment that they've been played the fool because God has delivered David. And David then, I could just see this in my mind. I feel this by the Spirit of God. I could see David looking back over his shoulder and he got just out of range of anybody launching an arrow. Uh, Got just out of range of anybody throwing a spear. And David got just out of range and he got up off of his horse and he began to dance and he began to praise and he began to worship and he began to say, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and delivered him out of all his affliction. Uh, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but out of them all the Lord's going to deliver me. Put not your trust in horses. Put not your trust uh, in footmen, but put your trust in the name of the Lord of hosts. He will deliver you. And I came to tell you guys today, when you're in a bad situation, don't trust in yourself, but trust in God. Glory to God. He is able to save and deliver like none other. And he deserves all the praise. And when you begin to be a worshiper and you see that, and when God's done something in your life, you'll worship God unashamed. Our heads are bowed and our eyes closed. To our church family today, my spirit is filled with the knowledge of God's word. I wish you could feel what I feel. I wish you could see what I see. I'm going to be honest. I wish you could perceive what I perceive. I perceive that blessing doesn't come. Promotion doesn't come from the north, the south, the east, or the west. But blessing and promotion comes from above. Favor and goodness can follow you all the days of your life. Come to you through Christ Jesus and your affection and your love for God. I called the men of our fellowship here today on Father's Day to speak not just to them, but through them to every person. But I did purposely determine to speak to the men today. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. Is that you today, sir? Can you say that with a clear conscience? Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. 
Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. We've had a powerful altar service already. It was tremendous. But I want to close in a special way of prayer. I'm going to let you out of here in just a moment. But please, please be patient with me for just a second. You're here today.